I did not. Now I thought. Every person has a story, and every story matters because God uses every story for his glory. And you know it's true because it rhymes, right? That's how that works. The person who hasn't put their faith in Christ has a story. It's a story that God is working and God still moving as seeds are being planted, as seeds are being watered. Their story is also worth listening to. A lot of times we don't know what's going on in someone's life. We don't know what someone walked in or someone we cross our paths with, whether it's someone that we ran into in the grocery store, someone that we interacted with at a restaurant, or someone that we just may work with. We don't know what may be going on, but God knows. And I want you to understand and, and believe and value that their story is worth listening to because we can often get tunnel vision where we only see problems and we miss out on seeing the person all we see is man this person has issues all we see is these hang-ups all we see is the addiction all we see is maybe the foul mouth all we see is you know the 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 lifestyle whatever it may be that challenges us and we see that and we miss seeing the person and so we're going to miss the story we're going to we're going to miss listening we're going to miss leaning in we're going to miss that compassion piece we're going to miss that idea of understanding why maybe life has turned out the way it has for this person and so often we'll see someone who needs to be fixed instead of us just seeing someone that needs to be loved with the compassion of christ so if we want to be heard if we want our message to be heard If we want the gospel to be heard, which we do, amen? We want the gospel to be heard, but if we do, man, we're going to really have to transition the way that we see other people and genuinely care about people right where they are. So let's look at scripture. Let's see how Jesus modeled this over in John chapter 4. Let's see this very famous interaction that Jesus had with this woman of Samaria at a well. I want to give you just a little bit of context so you can understand exactly what's going on. Jesus engages with this woman at a well, which we're about to read, and she's a Samaritan woman. And maybe you've heard it before that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And matter of fact, it was deeper than that. It was more than just not getting along. Actually, where the Samaritan people even came from historically was primarily through when the Jewish people were captured by the Assyrians and some of the Jews ended up actually marrying some of the Assyrian people and they began to produce this kind of offshoot race of people that's mixed in between the people of God and the enemies of the people of God. And so there was this really deep thing that had not been solved uh, at this point where they hadn't uh, begin to find out how to just be friends, you know. So Jews and Samaritans did not interact with each other. They, the Jews actually considered Samaritans to be like the lowest of the low in their world. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, they considered Samaritans to be lower than dogs. Now, you have to understand, some of you are like, well, what's wrong with dogs? I have a dog. They didn't look at dogs the way we look at dogs, okay? They didn't look at this is man's best friend and, and my little pet. They looked at dogs as being scavengers. They'll eat anything. They're, they're, they're the lowest animal. You know, they're just this gross animal. They didn't look at it as man's best friend like we do, you know. So get that idea out of your head. So they're saying you're worse than like a scavenger. You're like the lowest of the low. You're, a dog is better than you. 
And so that's how they classified uh, these Samaritan people, and they looked at them this way. And now the Jews also had this belief of this impurity-type culture where they believe impurity could be passed simply by touch. And so if you touch something that an impure person had touched, that impurity would pass to you, and they would believe that you would be defiled, you would be impure. So therefore, you would have to go through these rituals, you would have to go to the temple, you'd have to pay some money, have a sacrifice, etc., etc., go through all this stuff to be clean again. And there were so many things that could make you unclean or impure. And so touching something of someone considered impure would make you impure culturally in their society. And they would think, oh, now you're ceremonially unclean, and now you've got to go become clean again so all of that I want you to understand the context before we read this and so you can understand a little bit more of the weight of this interaction between Jesus and this Samaritan woman John chapter 4 verse 1 now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied from, he was, as he was on his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is actually later in the day. Normally when you would go and draw from a well, you would want to do it in the morning or in the evening when the water is cool. The water would kind of be lukewarm, or it would be warm at this point of the day. So this is not the ideal time to go get water. The well's kind of empty. I mean, I mean, it's not being visited. You're not seeing a lot of people go and visit the well at this time. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to this Samaritan woman, he said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and so did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come over here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She immediately gets spiritual. You know, I I experienced that a lot as a pastor. It's like I'll be talking to somebody, and they'll say, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. I'll say, well, well, praise the Lord. Uh, You know. You know, all of a sudden things change, and this is kind of what's going on. You know, she's, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she starts talking all spiritual. You know, our father said, uh, they worshiped on this mountain, verse 20. But you say in Jerusalem is the place that uh, people should worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship 
you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, as his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to see him. You see, Jesus in this moment, he, he did something very controversial, right? Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman, asking her to give him a drink. Jesus, did you forget the rules? Don't you know if this woman touches this vessel and draws water for you and then hands it to you? Don't you know her impurities are going to like pass to you? Don't you know that you're going to be unclean because like she's a, you know, S-A-M-A written? Don't you know? She's a Samaritan. Don't you know? Jesus, don't you understand that this is not what we do? And, and, and this woman, she come to draw water when nobody else was around. Why would somebody come and draw water when it's not optimal to come and draw water? She probably has a reputation, right? Jesus called her out on that. He said, hey, you're living with this guy, he's not your husband, and you've had all these other marriages, and people talk about you. I know you. I see you. I know your story. I know you. I see you. She's like, whoa, you've you got to be a prophet. This woman's coming at a time when it's not convenient because she's trying to come and just live her life, and she probably is burdened up with so much shame, so much guilt, so much uh, just being ostracized even by her own people and so this woman is probably not even well thought of by the Samaritans and now she's interacting with a Jew and then she figures out oh my gosh this is a, this is a prophet and then he reveals himself to her as Messiah could you imagine what this woman the 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 the, the love she's experiencing from Christ and he hasn't said anything to her that would dramatically change her life. He hasn't told her what, uh, what she needs to stop, what she needs to start, how she needs to be more disciplined in this area or that area. All he simply did was talk to her and engage her and love her right where she was. And that cultural barrier that was there, that Jesus was breaking, man, it ministered something that melted away this shame because now she's being interacted with. She's being loved on. She's being, being, being accepted in a way by Christ showing her that love in that moment and hearing her story because this is what Jesus did. Jesus built bridges for those that were marginalized by society so they could be connected to God. Jesus built these bridges, these connections to help those that are marginalized by society. And here's the thing, you and I, man, before we came into relationship with Christ, if, if, if you are a believer in Jesus, before you came into a relationship with Christ, we were in this same boat. We were marginalized. We were, we were outside of the family of God. And now Jesus 
has made a way. He's created a connection point. He's created this opportunity for us to do uh, and be a part of what we could never do or be a part of within our own strength. And that's to be loved, forgiven, accepted, right where we're at. And Jesus made this way. And this woman began to understand who Jesus was. She's like, hey, I've heard about this Messiah guy. And could you imagine, man? Jesus saying, yeah, you have heard about that. And you're talking to him. Because the water that I can give you, you'll never thirst again. Isn't that incredible, man? I, I just think about that. Jesus defied societal and cultural barriers to reach people and show them the heart of God. He showed them the heart of God in this moment. He showed them God loves men and women, all ethnicities, all social classes, even those caught in active sin. Think about the story. Maybe you've heard the story about Jesus ministering to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders pulled her out in the streets and they wanted to try to trap Jesus in like this bad situation where they paint him into a corner. And he said, hey, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Do you think about the shame of that? It's one thing. It's one thing to be known as someone who committed adultery, but to be caught in the act. Whoa. Oh my goodness. How embarrassing. How much shame. And this woman is thrown out into the streets. And these guys say, we want a stoner. What do you think? Because that's what the law says. So this woman's deserving of death. And Jesus said, let the one out of this group that doesn't have sin cast the first stone. One by one, the stones drop. And then what does Jesus do with this woman? He talks to her. He says, daughter, where are your accusers? She says, they're, they're not here. The only one who didn't have sin that could have cast the stone was Jesus, right? He was the only one because he said, the one who doesn't have sin cast the first stone. And Jesus said, they're, they're not here? Well, guess what? I don't accuse you either. But then he gives her truth. He tells her, he says, now go and sin no more. Jesus touched the leper. Remember the guy with the awful disease that had to go throughout his whole life saying, unclean, unclean. Jesus could have healed that guy a mile away, man. He could have just spoke a word. He could have just reached out his hand. But no, Jesus made the effort to break the societal barrier, to break the cultural barrier, to do something that was uncomfortable, that people were like, what is he doing? Doesn't he know? <laughs> this is not kosher, right? This is not what we do. We don't touch lepers. We don't talk to prostitutes. And we certainly don't interact with Samaritans and ask them for water. We don't ask them for anything. And here Jesus is breaking all of these barriers because he's reaching people right where they're at. And we think, wow, Jesus, what a guy. But we don't realize in our own society, we have our own prejudices. We have people that maybe we have some adverse feelings towards. And it can be based on anything. It can be based on age, dress, certain thoughts, beliefs, certain things, values. It, it could even go as, as, as deep as someone's ethnicity. All these different things that we have these prejudices towards. It could be towards money and the lack thereof or the abundance thereof. Whatever it may be. There can be criticisms all around those ideas. And, and people have these prejudices whether they realize it or not. I, I've even heard people say that uh, when, when they find out that I'm a pastor, they ask me where am I a pastor, they'll say, well, I'm not driving over to Betterdorf to church. 
and they say it like they're mad. I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I don't know why you, why you have such a problem. And different people, they have, they have these ideas. And some people, they have ideas that, man, it causes this angst, right? And we have these societal issues in our, in our hearts, and, and we don't even realize it sometimes because this judgmental attitude, this critical attitude, it comes out when we think about people in different sects of our society or within the different ways that people live and all those things. And Jesus, man, he cut through all of that stuff. He cut through this with the woman at the well. Why? Because he wanted her to see the hope that he was offering. He wanted her to know that he saw her as a person. He didn't come to her go, and, and he didn't lead out with going, now, lady, uh, first and foremost, let's set a few things uh, straight just to get the record clear. You're a Samaritan, okay? I'm a Jew. <laughs> uh, he didn't start off that way. He went up to her and he just began to love her right where she was at. He looked through all of that stuff. How much do we, the church, share in the priority and concern of Jesus? How much do we care about someone's eternity that we're willing to connect with them right where we are? What biases, what hurdles exist, what hardness in our heart? Maybe it was just a paradigm that was handed to us or a lens that was handed to us by someone in, in our childhood, maybe a parent, a, a grandparent, maybe someone that was influential in our lives, and we begin to look at certain people this way. Some people, they have prejudices. They can't sit down with someone who votes differently than them. I can't talk to a Democrat. And some people are like, I can't talk to a Republican. They're all the same. And we stereotype people, and we don't even get to know them. We don't even listen to them. We get so biased and so arrogant, so hard in our heart. We even do that in the church world. I can't hang out with them. They're b -b 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 Baptist. <laughs> They're assemblies of God. Or those are those non-denominational people. And we get these biases in our hearts, man. And it's so wrong that even in the church world, it seems that we can't connect. We can't try to find ways and opportunities to connect because we're, we're, we're so isolated at times. And Jesus showed us the exact opposite, man. Jesus showed us the way that he valued, the way that he crossed those lines, the way that he loved people. Now, he didn't compromise who he was. He didn't say that what everybody's doing is just fine. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. That wasn't the message of Christ either because Christ preached the message of repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. So don't mishear me this morning and say that God does not expect us to change, that God does not expect us to, to grow, but it's at a heart level. But we have to reach people and see them as people and see them as people that Jesus deemed worth dying for because the scripture doesn't say, for God so loved some that he gave his only begotten son. It says, for God so loved the world. Guess who all that includes? Me, you? Man, aren't you thankful he included you? Whoo! Man, some of you, and I'm not naming names or gonna look at anybody. Man, I'm glad that that includes all of us. Because we all are messed up. We all have a story, and you don't know what someone's story is until you sit down with them and you listen. I sat down with a guy on Friday um, for breakfast, and I, I was talking to him about issues with my dad, and I'm trying to work through some of that, and I'm trying to, 
like, like just get some advice and, and reconciling and things like that. And I sat down with him and I talked to him <laughs> and it made me laugh because after I unpacked my family's story to him, he said, man, your family's messed up. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> because we have this idea that all oh, the pastor's family, you know, it's like, it's like this thing that's perfect and, and, and it's not. We have, these, we have these ideas, these characterizations. We have these stereotypes that we slide people into based on how they look, based on the positions they hold, based on what they wear, based on what their social media looks like, right? And we think people are a certain way, but you don't know until you sit down and listen. You don't know until you build trust, until you lower your side of the, the drawbridge and they lower their side. You don't know, but you're not going to get there until God begins to increase the margins of your heart to love what he loves to love who he loves and to love how he loves and that's the agape love of god that transcends human love we don't have that ability in ourselves so i'm not trying to tell you to be better at something i'm trying to tell us we need more of christ in our life and we need to depend on him more so he can pour that agape love in us so we can pour it out to others because it's not something we possess outside of christ it only comes from Christ, and it's only strengthened through our relationship with Christ. It's not this thing that we can just get better at trying really, really hard to be good at. It, it's really the love of Christ that's been shed abroad in our heart that puts us in a position to see people that way and love people right where they're at. Because when we think about the weight of our sin, and we think about how Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, and we think about that good news of the gospel, it, it tenderizes the hard places of my heart. When I begin to respond in thankfulness, when I begin to respond in gratefulness with gratitude, now all of a sudden I'm seeing people much differently because I'm not seeing myself as better than or less than. I see myself as having the same need. And I see Christ being the answer to that need. Amen, church? So for us to be fruitful, we must be united on why we gather. We must be united on what we're called to do. This can't be this auxiliary external thing because different people have different ideas about why we gather as believers, why we gather as Christian people, and I want us to be fruitful, not just gathering for gathering's sake. We're not just gathering and showing up just because. It's not just us seeing our friend group. No, we have a reason why we're called together. Here's the first reason, to glorify God, first and foremost. This is why we gather, whether in a small group, whether in a large Sunday setting, why you're a part of a local church. This is why we gather, first and foremost, to glorify God. As we gather together, and as we open the word, as we receive communion, as we uh, pray together, as we sing songs of praise, glorifying God, we're glorifying God. Even in our fellowship, we're glorifying God. Second thing, we gather to grow, and we gather to serve one another in disciple-focused relationships, because the Great Commission is go into all the world and make disciples, not just go into all the world and make converts and then go, good luck, you know? I'm glad you found Jesus. You're on your own. No, make disciples. A disciple is a disciplined follower, someone who's following Jesus. So we help people to find and follow Jesus. This is what we do. This is why we gather. The third reason is we gather to be equipped and to be sent out into the world to help others find and follow Jesus. This is why we do what we do. We want to glorify God. We want to make disciples. And we want to be equipped to be sent out so we can go, so we can be a people who are growing in our faith, 
sharpening each other, glorifying God. But for us to be fruitful, we must be intentional. We must be intentional in order to be fruitful. Because Jesus knew the woman would be there. He knew as he went by this way. He knew that this woman was going to be there. He was intentional because he knew no one else was around. And there's something to this. He knew about her shame. Within that culture, man, of that uncleanliness, by mere touch, Jesus would have been considered unclean because he was touching something or asking to drink from something the woman had touched. Oh, no, Jesus knew that. He was intentional with what he was communicating to the woman and how he was communicating it. He knew the story that she would share with other people. She knew that this would reiterate God's heart for people because here's this woman who her whole town knew was unclean. And now she's going and sharing with them about how this person told me everything that I ever did. And he talked to me. And he asked, he asked me for a drink. They're like, what? Could you imagine like, what those stories were like? Could you imagine like, that woman interacting with those people post-interaction with Jesus? How did that go? This woman, she just took off. She didn't even carry no shoes or nothing, Jesus. She ran. She ran. And she took off. She left her jars behind. She didn't care about nothing. And then she went into the town. And she says, guys, guys, guys. And they're like, what do you want? What do you want? You're the lowest of our society. What do you want? There was a Jewish man who talked to me. A Jew? Talked to you? What did he say? Did he tell you you were going to hell? Because you are, you know? That would be a normal expectation, right? They would have thought, did he say something hurtful to you? Did he say something mean to you? Did he say something to you to judge you and criticize you? She said, no. He told me everything I knew. He told me he was the Messiah. He, 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 he told me about, about how, how there's, it's not going to be about worshiping on this mountain or that mountain. He, he told me that it, we're really going to worship in spirit. And he told me all this stuff about myself. He knew, and I never even met him, and I never even talked to him before. And she's sitting there telling, and he told me he's the Christ. He told me he's the Messiah. She's running around telling people with this passion, with this enthusiasm. She's going out and sharing her story. Jesus is having this woman now go out and tell others. And then these people now are coming to find Jesus. They're seeking Jesus out. The Samaritans begin to seek Jesus out. Are you getting that? Are you getting that? The Samaritans began to seek Jesus out because somebody was reached, because somebody had their story heard, and because Jesus loved them right where they were at. So how uncomfortable are we willing to be for the cause of Christ? How uncomfortable are we willing to be? How uncomfortable in these cities are we willing to be for the cause of Christ? How uncomfortable are you willing to be at your job? How uncomfortable are you willing to be with your friend group? How uncomfortable are you willing to be with others? Because, man, a lot of times, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I, if I want to associate myself with this type of person or that type of person. I, I understand. And there, there are healthy boundaries. So it, it's, if someone begins to influence you in a negative way or influence you away from Christ, of course, that's, that's not what I'm suggesting or recommending. It's not what I'm saying that Scripture is saying. It's not us being influenced, but yet rather us being salt, us being light. That's what Jesus said we are to be 
as his body, as the church. Amen? That's who we are supposed to be. Over in John chapter 21, this is after Jesus has already risen from the dead, right? And he interacts with his disciples and he makes breakfast for them. And they have fish because fish is what you eat for breakfast. Um, <clears throat> like, could you imagine though, like for real, like Jesus cooking breakfast? That had to be like the best breakfast ever, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think it'd be like really great? He, he would know just how to cook. He's like, I made this fish. Anyways. And it's different when Jesus makes breakfast, breakfast for you because he literally made breakfast for you. <laughs> right? Like, wow. Wow. <laughs> so many levels, right? I would be blown away. All right, John chapter, John chapter 21 and verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, how uh, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend to my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not this time. Peter gets grieved about this. Like, do you not believe me? He's grieved. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He was telling Peter what kind of death he was going to die to glorify God. And then after saying, yeah, go feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Uh, he, then he says, follow me. After he tells them, like, you're going to die for my sake. And then he calls him to follow him. Isn't this interesting? Jesus calls him to follow because a greater love for Christ, it increases our love for others. That's our big idea for today. A greater love for Christ increases our love for other people. So here in this moment, Jesus was confronting Peter, who, had, if you remember the story, when Jesus was being uh, beaten, had been arrested, carrying his cross, all those things, the crowd was in a frenzy. People asked him, hey, are you with Jesus? Are you, you're one of his disciples. And he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus had prophesied that he was going to do that. He said, yeah, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no way. But he did. And then now that Jesus has risen from the dead, Jesus in his grace and his love, he goes to Peter and he asks him, hey, do you love me? And he asked him three times. He says, do you love me? And he said, yes. He said, well, okay, then feed my lambs. Then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. And all this response of love, this active love in which you're going to be loving me with after I ascend, after I'm no longer with you, you're going to die and it's going to be pretty rough because people are going to take you somewhere you don't want to go and they're going to do things you don't want them to do and you're going to die. So, hey, follow me. Doesn't sound like the greatest uh, invitational, you know, sales pitch, does it? But Jesus was saying, if you love me, then I want you to spend your life feeding the lambs, feeding the sheep. I want you to be willing to even go to death for me. That's what it takes to follow me. Because I gave my life for you. Now, are you willing to give your life for my sake? Because no greater love has a man that he'd be willing to lay down his life for another. Amen? That's what scripture says. <clears throat> and so here in this moment, we see that as Jesus calls Peter to a deeper love, to a place of loving him more. He's saying, Peter, 
don't just love me in word. Don't just love me in word. Love me in deed. Don't just say you love me and then you're not willing to inconvenience yourself and you're not willing to stretch yourself to do something uncomfortable because to follow me, it's going to require you get uncomfortable. To follow me, it's going to require that you be willing to actually give it all and it's going to be required of you one day. Could you imagine Peter hearing this after knowing that Jesus is 100% legit telling the truth? He saw Jesus die. He's now seen and experienced a resurrected Christ. He remembers the last time he doubted the words of Christ when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and then it came true. And now Jesus is saying, you're going to die for my sake. So he knows that if he follows Jesus, he knows there's no escaping this. And he's saying, am I worth it to you, Peter? Is following me worth it? Is it worth this inconvenience of offering your life as a sacrifice for the glory of God and for the furthering of the gospel to be able to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep, to be able to minister to the people? Is it worth it? Because it's going to cost you. And I'm inviting you once again to follow me. Jesus invited Peter to follow him when he was fishing as a fisherman. And he said, hey, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. And he dropped his nets and he started following Jesus. And here now the resurrected Christ is once again inviting Peter to follow him. But he's offering this in a different way than before. He's wanting them to see the bigger picture. Because for a while, Peter just thought he was following a great teacher. He just thought he was following somebody who was doing some awesome miracles and, and who was this amazing prophet. Even, even, even before the Holy Spirit revealed to him that, that Jesus was actually the Christ, he still wasn't 100% sure what all they were doing, man, but he was excited about it. And now that he knows it, now that he sees it, he's saying, Peter, after all you've seen, after all you've experienced, after all that you know who I am, am I worth it? That's what Jesus is asking. Am I worth it? Peter was saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And so for us to have that increased love for others, for us to be able to love like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman, man, it's going to require that deeper love for Christ where he increases the borders of our heart because we like to think that we can love people without limits, but man, we all have limits. You have limits on Thanksgiving with certain family members, right? I mean, like, I can only be around this person for this long, right? We all have limits. But when the gospel grabs a hold of my heart, those limitations get removed. I start seeing people differently. I start leaning in to hear their story. I start leaning in like Jesus interacted with this woman at the well. And now all of a sudden, those boundaries, those cultural things that are in place, I'm willing to step over those things. I'm willing to do things no one else is willing to do. I'm willing to touch the leper. I'm willing to sit down with the Samaritan. I'm willing to talk to that person who's caught in active sin and hear their story and love them the way that Christ loved them, present truth to them, build trust, build relationship with them for the purpose of sowing seed, watering seeds of the truth of the gospel in their heart and letting God do the heart work that only he can do. So if you're struggling with loving the marginalized people in society, and if you are critical towards them and you've been avoiding them, you want to know what the answer is? Love Jesus more. A greater love for Jesus will increase your love for others. Are you struggling with living intentionally for the cause of Christ? What's the answer? 
love Jesus more. How do I increase my love for Jesus? Here's how you do it. I need to think about the good news of Jesus because when I think about the gospel, I grow in thankfulness for the gospel. When I think about the gospel, when I think about the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And when I recognize that's me, that's why it's so healthy for us to recognize our need. It's so healthy for us to recognize our sin and our need and our inability to fix our sin problem. And Jesus fixed it. Jesus made a way where there was no way. Jesus opened the door. He is the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. That's why nobody can come to God except by Christ. That's why the gospel is so potent because it has the power to save. It has the power to sanctify. It has the power to make me new and transform me. And it's not this one-time event. It's something I grow in as I'm growing in Christ. I'm not just growing in knowledge and growing in scripture memorization. No, I'm growing in understanding the heart of God. And the more I grow in understanding the heart of God, it changes the way I look at things. It changes the way I look at people. It changes the way I look at problems in society. It changes the priority in which I live my life. And I grow in thankfulness to God for the gospel. I'm impacted by how he loves. So now through my faith in him, I can love my brothers and sisters in Christ better because we need to love each other better too. It starts with us, amen? starts in the house of God, starts in the church, loving each other, because we are pandering a false gospel if we say we love those who don't yet know Christ, and we can't love one another in Christ. Do we really have that love? Where are we struggling? We need to love Jesus more, a whole lot more than we do. We need to be thankful for the gospel a whole lot more than we are. We need to be a whole lot more patient with each other than we've been We need to fight for unity a whole lot more than we have. Because what matters at the end of the day is not which mountain you worship on. That's what Jesus said. It doesn't matter. He said what matters is going to be are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Because the real worshipers are going to worship him that way. Because it's a spirit connection, not a location connection. Amen? This is the heart we must have. This is the foundation. This is the priority that we must have to be for these cities, to be for all people, to be a church that's impacting eternity that's bigger than Sunday, that's bigger than Bettendorf, that's going to be making an impact beyond our lifetime. For that to happen, man, we must be willing to get uncomfortable because we love Jesus more than our comfort. We're more thankful for what he's done for us. And then we want to be that fruitful and effective church. We must love Jesus and love one another more. We must love others more. We must listen to other people's story. We must reach them where they're at. So God, increase our compassion. Increase our heart. Increase, Father, increase our eyes to see what you see. May the things that, Lord, break your heart, may those things break our heart. May the things, Lord, that, that move you and motivate you. May those things move and motivate us. Lord, the things that are so trivial that we get so caught up in, Lord, let us let those things go and, and, and may we focus on what really matters. And Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, may they reach out to you. May they cling to you 
May they, may they say, I need you, Jesus. And may they find hope and salvation in putting their faith and trust in the Savior of the world. We thank you for transforming us, for working in us at that heart level. And may it be reflected in the way we speak, in the way we think, in the way we treat other people, and in the way we look at those who may be different from us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.